0: Welcome back to the Screen People Podcast. This episode is dedicated to Shriners Hospitals for Children. These hospitals specialize in pediatric care, focusing on children suffering from burns, orthopedic conditions, spinal injuries, and cleft palates. The main emphasis of the hospitals is to provide care to children regardless of ability to pay, meaning treatment is often provided without charge to families. To learn more, visit ShrinersHospitalsForChildren.org. And now the episode. All right, welcome back to our podcast, and today we have Steve. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to be here. Steve and I have a a very odd relationship. We have met... How many times, Steve?
1: We have met face-to-face
0: once. Once. Six years ago. Yep. Um, We were in a wedding together. We ended up meeting at the
1: tuxedo shop and hit it off instantly. I'd say this is our first face-to-face quote-unquote meeting uh, since the wedding, isn't it? This is absolutely the first
0: time we're seeing each other. Um, Everything else has been through emails, texts, Facebook messages, and there you go. So uh, as far as the audience goes, you guys know him just about as much as I do. (laughs) All right. If we were doing the first chapter in the
1: Steve bio, how does that begin? The first chapter in my bio... I suppose it would start by just kind of, here's a general warning. You're in for a bit of a ride. Here's a brief history of me, if you would like. Um, don't know if you can tell from the accent. It's nowhere near as strong as it used to be, but I am English, British by birth. Ah, oh, I thought Canadian, but go ahead. Okay. <laughs> I'm not as polite. Um, grew up in Illinois, in a suburb of Chicago. Uh, spent my high school years out in Phoenix, Arizona, and then I've spent uh, the college years and pretty much uh, all of my adult life in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, so I've been around the country. I've experienced, you know, a negative 30 degree winter in Illinois. I've experienced 122 degree summer in Phoenix, kind of one end of the spectrum to the other. Did you go to college? Oh yes, went to college at the University of Miami. Oddly enough, came down not really knowing what it was I was going to study. Uh, originally, it was going to be, um, what was it, a marine sciences. So I took the introductory course and decided that while it was interesting, it was not so interesting that I wanted to learn all of the little minutiae that would have come with a college-level degree. And then after a bit of aimless wandering... Um, from course to course, I landed in a geology course, and that just struck a nerve, struck the right chord with me. Found it immensely interesting, and so signed up uh, with the geology department, who was happy to have me, because we're, it's a relatively small department. And yeah, I graduated with a bachelor's of science in geological sciences, of all things. A degree which I have never actually used. I realized a little later um, than I should have. So I, I took kind of the wrong approach to college. I should have thought, oh, OK, I want to do this. How? What do I need to get me there so I can do that? And took the approach of, well, this is interesting. I'll just do that, which is OK. But again, I, I've never actually used the degree that I paid for. Huh. <laughs> Yeah, um,
0: so, okay, so you graduate college with a degree in geology, and then what did
1: you do? Apparently not be a geologist. No, not be a geologist, um... So the, the story there is that uh, I had some amazing sweet mates my junior year, it's all four of us. Uh, we were all friends by the end of it, and uh, they graduated a year before I did, then I graduated, and we all went our separate directions, kind of back to our hometowns, if you will. I went back to Phoenix, uh, did a quick bit of job hunting in Phoenix, didn't amount to anything grand or exciting. And then a year or so after I graduated, we kept in touch, and we all realized that we were all in jobs that had nothing... Nothing to do with what we'd graduated, you know, college for. And that we were all not miserable, but we were not, you know, ecstatically happy. And that we figured, okay, let's move back down to Florida. We'll all get together again. Uh, because the teaching scene was kind of uh, taking off in Florida. There were a lot of teaching positions open. And we figured we'll all move back together. We'll all become teachers. And this way, even if we don't like it, we can be miserable. But we will be miserable together. And that's that's basically what happened. So after a, a year in Phoenix, drove across country back down to Florida and have been down here ever since. And are you still teaching? Uh, no. <laughs> of course, why would you be? That part of the plan actually uh, did work. We we all got jobs teaching and uh, I taught high school chemistry for two years and after those two years I kind of realised that uh, th- this was not for me. This was not what I really wanted to do so I, I stopped doing that and then kind of fell into a series of ad- administrative positions and then got out of that, uh, fell into to, uh, accounting and I currently work for a friend's company uh, doing bookkeeping for our various clients that we work with. So not inordinately grand or exciting and when you, you know, oh, you know, tell me your life story. I work in bookkeeping. The Third Man, a 1949
0: British film noir directed by Carol Reed, written by Graham Greene, post-war Vienna at the start of the Cold War. The reason that this is in here is because this that I just described, the 1949 British film noir black and white Dutch angles dark movie you refer to as childhood. (laughs) Yes. Please explain that. That is not what I thought would be in your childhood section.
1: I have my father to thank for this, because one of the really amazing things that I am am thankful to him for is that he introduced myself and my brother, when we were you know, fairly young, to all of these classic and admittedly sometimes bizarre movies that you wouldn't necessarily think of, oh, let's show this to the kids. As as you say, it's a black and white film noir, there's murder involved, it's a murder mystery. But that was just one of the things that kind of made it into the, the family rotation of movies when it was family rotation uh family movie night i should say so one of the the things that my dad did uh, besides introducing us to these movies was we also recorded the movie onto cassette tape one of the things that we would do as a family is sit outside in the backyard uh, typically we'd have a small campfire going in a little fire pit that we had and we would have a small tape deck little boom box out there and we would play movies or just you know the the audio track to the movies that was just one of the things that i remember sitting out back looking up through the trees at the stars with the fire you know crackling beside us and just having the story playing out beside us okay i didn't i do not
0: know anime it is not my scene my genre fair enough um I have watched a very small amount, um, but I definitely had no idea what the hell (laughs) irresponsible (laughs) Captain Taylor was, and to be precise, episode 26. And you didn't understand a thing that was going on, did you? Well, thanks to the internet, I did. Okay, good. (laughs) We refer to
1: this as Steve's college years. We're in the college section of your book. So far as anime series go, it's good. I'm not going to say that it's, like, groundbreaking and phenomenal and, oh, you know, if you were going to watch anime, do watch this one. It's like, no, you, you could you couldn't. But this was the series, and this was kind of the the TV show, where television and my life really kind of collided. You know, you you mentioned in your questionnaire that this is, you know, part of this show is discussing how media has influenced your life or when has life and media kind of clicked together and and create these, uh, these memorable moments. And this is kind of the one where exactly what I needed to hear from a TV show happened at exactly the point that I needed to hear it in my real life. I kind of spent my college years wandering around somewhat aimlessly in terms of what I was going to be doing with the rest of my life. And to this day, to an extent, I still don't know, but that's neither here nor there. So I was trying to figure out, okay, what do my college professors want me to do? What do my parents want me to do? What are my friends doing and and how do I compare to that? You know, I, I should be doing at least as good as they are. Quick, quick pause. What did your parents want you to do? Uh, my parents just wanted me to major in science. Okay. Because <laughs> that's where the money was. Ah. So you get a, get a science degree and you know you'll be well off was their reasoning. And then, you know, while this is going on, watching anime with friends and episode 26, it's the final episode of the series, comes along. And basically, you have this character who has spent the entire series bucking the rules Mm -hmm. to a degree. Not that he's going out of his way to break them. He just really doesn't care about the rules that he's supposed to be following. And in the final episode, he's explaining this to one of the other characters. And he turns to her and basically explains sort of his philosophy that has dictated everything that he's done throughout the entire show by saying, you only live once, so don't live according to someone else's rules. Do what you want, the way you want to. And that was you know i suppose in um if it were a psychiatry session that would have been the breakthrough moment where my brain suddenly clicked and went oh that is what i should be doing i should not be caring really about what my parents want me to do i shouldn't be comparing myself to what my classmates are doing i shouldn't be looking at what i'm doing through the lens of does someone else approve i should be figuring out what the heck it is i want to do and then actually go about figuring out how to get to that point of actually doing it Again, it was just kind of like the exact advice I needed to hear at the exact time I needed to hear it. I unfortunately haven't fully followed through with it because I I still don't really know what it is I want to do and therefore haven't gone about doing it the way I want to yet. Again, it's just kind of one of those words to live by uh, and I'm trying to get there. All right, well,
0: I can't finish this interview without talking about your favorite life movie, possibly the movie that really has had an impact on you more than anything
1: well yes, yeah. so while we're listening to the third man, uh, one of the other movies that saw at a very early age, I put it at around I want to say when I was in first grade, I think is when I got it down to uh, we rented and watched disney 's 1954 adaptation of twenty thousand Leagues under the sea, which became one of my favorite movies of all time. Now, I could speak at length about it, but I'm going to kind of cut to the the chase, which is the where did this, how did this impact my life? And where it impacted was one scene from the movie in particular. So we've, we've just gotten on board the Nautilus, and our main characters are searching around, and the, the ship seems deserted. They accidentally open up a viewport on the side and they're looking out and what do they see they see a group of men walking along the ocean floor wearing these outlandish suits with big helmets on the top and it's one of those things that again I don't know what part of my brain it plugged into whether this was pre-wired and this just unlocked it or whether it captured my imagination and didn't let go but I suddenly became just intrigued by this concept that oh hey I can breathe underwater but there is this stuff that I could put on that would let me walk on the bottom of the ocean that's cool and it became to find out more about okay what is what is this diving equipment that exists that lets you do this how can I do that can is this something that I can do and I remember going to the school library and looking you know kind of into books on underwater exploration and actually getting disappointed that the old school gear with the, you know, the big copper helmets that you see in the movie, that's not used much anymore. Nowadays, it's, it's all scuba diving. It's like, oh... That's a bummer. But the the interest has uh, had always been there, and I, I used to approach it from the thought of, oh, that's kind of neat. It would have been fun to do that. That that must have been a really neat experience. And then as I grew older, I started looking into, oh, you know, what what's the history over here? There's the British side. There are, you know, German manufacturers. There are American manufacturers. Every country has their own version. And so I just kind of, you know, kept looking at it, reading about it, and then I found that, oh, there's this group that meets up in in Pennsylvania every year and it's uh you know a bunch of guys who actually own this type of equipment, and if you stop by on one of these weekends that they do this, you can try it out. You can imagine my eyes just kind of going big as saucers. I'm in, I think, high school, and it's like, oh, I, I have got to try and do this. I've got to go after, you know, I've, I've got to get myself out there somehow to try and do this. One of their rules is, oh, you've got to have scuba certification. So during college, I got my scuba certification, thinking, oh, you know, this, this is one step towards doing that, and life kind of caught up with me a a little bit or rather life took over and so that plan was always on the back burner. As we approached my 33rd birthday I found that there was a a, a group down in the Florida Keys not too far from where I live that actually does the helmet diving experience. Spend some time underwater, take pictures, write your friends, etc. And so for my 33rd birthday, I gave myself the gift of actually trying out the old-fashioned diving gear that I was first introduced to 25-odd years ago in this movie that I happened to see and became obsessed with. And then I have kind of continued that a couple of months ago, ended up taking a week long course to become a certified standard dress diver um really kind of cool and i've I've got to say that that experience was absolutely amazing and I have twenty thousand leagues under the sea, Walt Disney to thank for it because if I had not seen that movie when I saw that movie, I don't think you know that there's a possibility that it would not have just clicked and become this lifelong obsession of mine. Wow. That's very cool.
0: So would the goal one day be to own your own suit? Do you have to sell your one child in order to do that?
1: Uh, At the moment, yes, I'd have to.
0: (laughs) It's just for clarity's sake. I'm not not judging. I'm not judging. I'm just trying to understand.
1: No, the the one thing is that um, owning your own gear of that type is expensive, Um, You know, a a full setup rig is about the cost of a car, and it's just, you know, obviously not something that I can just go out and buy.
0: Is someone making them?
1: Yes. Yep. There is uh, Desco, which operates out of Milwaukee. Uh, They have been producing these helmets since um, at least the early 1900s, and they still make them today by hand. You know, as I mentioned, they're expensive, and takes a lot of effort to actually dive them. You know, unlike scuba diving, where it's all oh, you and a friend, you decide, hey, let's go. And, you know, half an hour later, you're on a boat out on a reef somewhere. This takes some serious planning and a good, you know, four or five people who know what they're doing in order to do it safely. <laughs> but there is immense fun, I find, in that, that, oh, it's, it's not just one other person. It's, you know, this, this group of people coming together so that everyone gets to, to try it out. Um, and every year I do enter a raffle, the Historical Dive Society, Uh, has a raffle fundraising raffle every year where the grand prize is a mark five diving helmet i have yet to win but uh eh, maybe next year we'll see
0: (laughs) and for those members of the historical diving society i am always looking for sponsors anyway because you wrote about your experience exposing your child to some of the things that you liked and grew up with what would you like her to be able to
1: see I would love for her to see the She-Ra reboot that uh, has come out recently, because that entire series is all about empowerment and being true to yourself. This kind of ties back to the whole college discussion that uh, we had earlier, where it's don't try to live up to other people's expectations. Be yourself, be true to yourself, and go after what you know to be right. Now, I think I've let the cat out of the bag here that I have watched the Shiro reboot, or I'm in the process of watching it, I should say. I'm only uh, halfway through the third season at this point. But um, I've loved everything that I've seen just because A, the, the message is there. It's a very empowering message that it conveys. And B, just like all good modern cartoons, it makes me laugh every single episode. There is always at least one joke that actually has me burst out laughing which is nice. So, you know, I I I want her to see that at some point. You know, she's old enough for it. She just hasn't really expressed any interest in it. I uh, I think it will come. I don't point her towards certain things by and large. I kind of let her explore whatever's on the Netflix menu herself with the exception of saying, "No, you're you're a little old for that." Or eh, no, not not just yet. Wait on that one.
0: Mm-hmm. orange is the new black it, it's not the right time for a 10 year old
1: no no not 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 quite the right time you know the but no uh, short answer i'm excited for her to uh, eventually see uh she-ra and the princesses of power yes i said it i don't care what you think of me <laughs> i've enjoyed it <laughs> steve thank you so much for doing this oh you are very welcome it was nice to see you for the second time in life. D- does this count as a full a full time, or because we're doing it remotely, is this a half? So we've we've seen each other one and a half times now. Do you think?
0: I don't know what science would say, but I count it as a second time.
1: Very good. Then I will d- I will do the same then.